0: Uh, If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Before we get into our passage, I want to just mention, uh, Tyler had mentioned, thank you, by the way, Tyler, for letting me be here. What a privilege to to be here and to share the Word of God with you all. Uh, Just to share some brief story about what is going on in France. Um, As I mentioned to the committee, in spite of a devastating pandemic, Uh, a horrific war in the Ukraine Uh, in spite of uh, political turmoil internally and a a perpetual threat of terrorism, the Lord is working in France. And I want to give you just one illustration, otherwise I'll be here all day because I could tell you story after story. Um, But I want to tell you about Lyon and a church in Lyon, because there's a young man right now, Alex Saran, who's planting a church in Lyon. And it's growing and thriving, and what a thrill it was to visit their church. I've visited many times, but in the last visit, it was exciting to see. The sanctuary just filled with folks worshiping the Lord. As this young French pastor faithfully proclaimed the gospel... But but Alex isn't just any young French pastor. He was a young pastor who was trained at the faculty, Jean Calvin, and it's a thrill to see that happen. But also a young man who said, you know, I'm looking at all that's going on, and I really want to be in the PCA. Okay? So he was in touch with me. He was in touch with the presbytery here that he had connections with. and uh, So I went and met with Alex and proctored his exams for the presbytery, his written exams. And I will tell you that Alex wrote for 13 hours for his uh, written exam in Bible and theology and sacraments and you know the whole list of things, church history. It was amazing. I forced him to go to lunch because he was just writing and writing and writing. Then he was examined by Presbytery, by their committee. And then he preached for and was examined at Presbytery. And then he was ordained as a teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church in America. I'll never forget that day because as I watched all that unfolded at Presbytery and then came down with the, with the elders to pray for him, as we got ready to pray for Alex and I had my hand on his shoulder, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And after the prayer I looked over and it was Frank Barker. I thought, I've almost been to heaven have Frank Barker praying with me and for me. But I want you to know that right now there is an exciting church, growing church, One of our new MTW missionaries is getting ready to partner with that church, but there's an exciting, thriving church in Lyon, France, that's pastored by a French PCA teaching elder. And I want you to pray for that church because Lyon is one of the most influential cities in all of France. And if you get a chance to visit, it's also the culinary capital of France. And so you will be blessed not only with the preaching of the word, but the feeding of your soul and heart and stomach. But let me move on to the scripture. Uh, I'm going to be focusing on one particular passage, verse in this group. As uh, as I mentioned to Tyler this morning, Simon Kistemacher, who was my uh, New Testament professor at the seminary, uh, reminded me there were 28 chapters in this book. And a thousand and seven verses. And I want us to really focus on one as we look at this whole section. The context of this passage comes, and you know this, in Acts chapter 1 we all of a sudden have Jesus after his resurrection showing himself to the apostles with a host of, of proofs. And Calvin says signs and he goes back and shares that word that really manifested himself over 40 days To be alive. And then we see in chapter 1 the disciples meeting to pray in one fourteen, and they're gathered there praying. And then they anoint Matthias to be the new apostle. And then they wait and pray. Jesus has been with them for 40 days. Now he's ascended into heaven. And now they're waiting and praying. And then in chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the powerful sermon preached by Peter and the conversion of 3,000 souls saved that day. A remarkable thing to think that that happened. And then it says in in verse 42 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. What a thrilling time for the church. Then in chapter 3, Peter and John go up to the temple to pray. And as they're on their way in, a 40-year-old man who is a beggar, lame from his birth, is seated there by the way up into the temple. Now I want you to reflect on that for a moment because what that means is they had passed him before. In fact, what that means is if he was sitting there every day for all those years, the disciples and Jesus had passed him going in. On this particular day, however, the Lord decides to manifest His glory and power. And as they're walking up, this man calls out to them for alms. And Peter says, look upon us. And he thinks he's about to receive something, and he is. But not a mere pittance of alms. Peter looks at this lame beggar and says, silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And he reaches out and lifts this man up. And suddenly this man who had been lame from his birth is leaping and jumping and following them into the temple, amazed and amazing all around him at his newfound health. As they get inside, all the people are amazed. And Peter then preaches another sermon, a powerful sermon in the portico of Solomon And it is a remarkable testimony to his knowledge of Scripture and his understanding of what the events had transpired and Jesus' power to save. So much so that he and John, oh, they just upset everybody. The elders, the scribes, the Sadducees, they were all upset and they laid hands on them and took them away and you cannot preach in the name of Jesus like this, the resurrection of Christ. And it was evening time, so they said, well, no, you can't, we're going to hold you over till tomorrow. But by the way, it says at the end of that section there, as they're arrested in chapter four as it begins, that, I love this place, but it says, however, many of them who heard the word believed and a number of 5,000 men was added to the church. Now, Tyler, that's some powerful preaching there, brother. Um, but then they hold them over till the next day. And then they bring them before. And they gather, they're gathered there, the elders of Israel, the rulers of Israel, the scribes, the Pharisees, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and Alexander, and John, and all the rest of the kindred of the high priest. They're gathered there to hear Peter and John answer the question, in what name or by what power have you done this? And then Peter answers them. And he says to them, if we be asked this day, if we be asked this day by what power or in what name, by what authority we have made this lame man who's standing before you whole, let me tell you, it is in the name of, By the power of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by his name, this lame beggar is healed. And then we get a remarkable passage when he says, the stone which has been rejected by you builders has become the cornerstone. By the way, that's a quote from Mark chapter 14 when Jesus had a confrontation with the scribes himself. And then he says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then we get to the verse that I want to tell you about. And it says this in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So before we look at this word together, let me pray for us right now. Father, as we contemplate the wonder, the wisdom, the mystery of your word, may we do so with increasing devotion to your glory and to our edification for Jesus' sake. Amen. You know, there are certain things you never forget in life, and I will never forget a class I had to take in seminary, hospital ministry. We had to write out what we did and our experiences. We went down to the hospital. We met with the chaplain. He instructed us on all the various aspects. He gave us a tour of the hospital. We read Bible verses and studied about ministering to those who are sick and suffering and and even facing death. And then we got to the OJT. And he said, all right, gentlemen, we've done our studies. We've prepared our notes. Uh, you've gotten your tour. You know where you're going. I want us you to go out on the floors. And I thought, this is not good. Um, so he assigned me to go up to a certain floor, and I went up to that floor. He said, just go up to the nurse's station. Just ask them if there's anybody they need you to would be help, help with a visit from one of the chaplains. So I went up to the nurse's station and very timidly, I said, listen, I'm Chaplain, I'm Chaplain Koshay, and um, I'm just wondering if there's anybody on your floor that could use a visit from a chaplain today. And I was hoping to say, no, we're good, chaplain, everybody's fine, go on. But she didn't, she said, oh, chaplain, I'm glad you're here. Mr. Jones, down in this room down here, is in the last stages of terminal cancer. And I know they would appreciate a visit. I went down praying, shaking, and knocked on the door. And I heard a a faint voice say, come in. And I came in. And I looked over on the bed, and Mr. Jones was asleep. His wife was awake, and she had said, come in. And I introduced myself. I said, Ms. Jones, I'm Chaplain Koschei. And I just wanted to see if there was anything I could do for you all. It was so wonderful. She was so sweet. She smiled and she said, oh, chaplain, if you could, would you read some scripture? I got my Bible and we began to read some verses together. It was a sweet time. About the the third verse I began to read, third passage, he woke up. And he looked at me, he looked at her, and he looked back at me, and then he said to her, now, who's this? And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And she said, oh, honey, this is the chaplain, and he's just here reading some scripture. I'll never forget as long as I live when he looked at me and he said, Chaplain, there's only one scripture. Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Over the next five weeks, I learned two things about Mr. Jones. Number one, he had a deep, personal, intimate, saving, transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. And number two, he had an unwavering assurance of his eternal hope in Jesus Christ. And so for the next several weeks, I watched as Mr. Jones ministered Loved on, encouraged, shared the gospel with people who came to visit him. It was remarkable. And this morning I'd like to talk about our having that kind of knowledge, that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, I want us, everyone here, My my greatest desire is that everyone here would know that personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That there is no other name, as Peter says in that 12th verse, no other name given among men by which we must be saved. My great longing is that you would know what John wrote in his gospel when he said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. My longing is that we would know the saving grace of Christ. I remember in the church, you talk about membership classes, communicants classes. We used to have a, a communicants class for our smaller, younger people, as well as one for our older people. And sometimes we combined them and I remember these two young twins. I think they were 10, maybe 11. And they had gone through the class, and they had learned so much and in indicated so much knowledge of the gospel. And so before we would have them meet with the session, we would meet, and I went with them to meet with their family at home. And I remember sitting there with them, having gone through all these things. And I, I looked at them, and their mom was sitting there with them, and I said... Um, Have you all ever sinned? It's kind of a tough question, I guess, maybe to ask an 11-year-old in front of their mom. They looked at her, they looked at me, and then they looked at each other. Looked back at their mom and then said to me, From time to time. (laughs) See, even those 11-year-old boys in front of their mom knew they had sinned. Like we all know we have sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we also know, as we've learned growing up, and they knew, that the wages of that sin is death, eternal separation from God. But that verse in Romans goes on to say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, my longing for you and me is that we would know that saving faith in Jesus Christ. That we would be able to relish with Paul. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That we would rest in that grace in such a way that we can say, For by grace I have been saved through faith. Faith in the finished work of Christ. And that not of myself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's my prayer this morning is that we would all know, that you would know, that saving, personal, intimate, transformational relationship with Christ. But my hope is, is that it won't stop There. It won't stop there. But then it will be, as C.S. Lewis says, that we will come further up and further in. That we will, as is described here of, of Peter and John, when it says that the scribes, the leaders there, marveled and took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. But not just they had been with Jesus, but they had been with Jesus. I had a particular professor in seminary, and I remember him well because my wife reminded me from time to time, particularly when I would take a week-long intensive class with him, and she would look at me and she'd say, you're sounding like him again. Everything from the accent to the enunciation, it was remarkable. The impact being with this man had on my life. I remember Tim Keller in one of his books saying that he had a fella come up to him one day and said, didn't have much time to prepare your sermon this week, huh, Tim? Tim Keller said, what? <laughs> yeah, he said, no, 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 no. You have a default mode. He says, I have a default mode? He said, yeah, Tim, you have a default mode. He said, what's that? He says, any time you kind of haven't been as much time in the Word, you quote C.S. Lewis again and again and again and again. And Tim Keller said, you're absolutely right to <laughs> do that because C.S. Lewis had, had such a huge impact on his life. But this morning I want to talk about that and, and what it really means and what that looks like and how they would say that and why they were reflecting that. And I want us to look at four things that happened in this initial section of the time of those 50 days. The 40 days after his ascension, the 10 days, I mean the the 40 days after his resurrection, before the ascension, and the 10 days after the ascension until Pentecost. Those 50 days. And I want to challenge you to take the next 50 days and be with Jesus. By the way, uh, Andrew Murray, not the tennis player, but a, a, a pastor and, and professor in South Africa with Scottish roots, uh, wrote a little book. It's really a 31-day devotional called Abide in Christ. And I would encourage you, if you're looking for some kind of little devotional, to spend 31 days in that and, um, and really understand the depth and the breadth of abiding in Christ, As we read about in John chapter 15. But I want to look at four particular things. Now I'm sorry, I don't have three points in the poem. I have four points, so we'll just get to those. But I want you to see something. First of all, these disciples... Well, you may want to ask this question about these disciples. What was it that transformed Peter and John from fearful fleeing followers, really they were, fearful followers who were fleeing for their lives into what we see here, dedicated disciples willing to die for Christ. What, what, what was it that transformed them? And I'm convinced that it was that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And several specific things happened. First, I want you to see this. They were emboldened. Jesus emboldened them by his manifestation of being alive. Resurrected. They were hiding and trembling. And then they went to the tomb. Then he appeared in the upper room. Then they met with him on the boat. Then they had breakfast on the beach. And Jesus restored and recommissioned Peter and the whole relationship of their walk together. And for 40 days. Now, you have to forgive me, but in the King James it says, Jesus manifested himself by many infallible proofs. I like that. I mean, he was in the upper room one day, and if it's not an infallible proof when somebody comes and they're there with you and they've kind of come into the room and you're wondering, how'd they get here? And then they say, I'm hungry, do you have anything to eat? And then he eats some honey and fish with them. Or you come off the boat and you swim to the shore and he's cooking breakfast. There was an incredible, magnificent manifestation on the Emmaus Road. And so for 40 days, Jesus... With many signs, with many proofs, emboldened the disciples that He was, as the angel said, He is not here. He is risen indeed. And it was transformational. Second, I want you to see this. Not only did He embolden them, did Jesus embolden the disciples by the manifestation of His resurrection, but He enlightened them. In their understanding of the scriptures. You know Jesus knew the scriptures. He was a master of the scriptures. You can remember from the temptation in in Luke's gospel. All the way until the place where he's asked in in Matthew about marriage. And he says in the beginning it was written. All the way to when he's challenged and questioned. And they say "Hmm, what's the greatest commandment. And he takes them back. To the Old Testament again in the scriptures. And in Leviticus and Deuteronomy gives them the great commandments. Love the Lord the God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. They knew the scriptures. But listen to what happens. If you've got your Bible you can look with me at what happens in Luke chapter 24. It's a powerful, powerful thing. I cannot even imagine how enlightened they must have been. In fact when I hear uh, the, what happens here. I'm just overwhelmed because as they gather together there. On the Emmaus Road, first he opens the scripture. But then as it gets to the end, Jesus talks to them. And he says, beginning at verse 45. Well, let me go back before that because I want you to see the whole thing. And it says this. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake to you while I was with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets. And in the Psalms concerning me. And then look what happens. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written. And thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead on the third day that this repentance And remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. My goodness gracious, you talk about an intensive lesson. The Lord Jesus Christ had emboldened them by His resurrection presence. But now He enlightens them. He enlightens them with a deep sense of understanding of the Scriptures. Somebody challenged me recently... And I'm going to challenge you with the same challenge they gave me. I know that none of you, I left my iPad in the car, and my iPhone's turned off in my pocket. It won't ring, I promise you, although the alarm might go off. Um, but I will tell you this. They challenged me the other day. said, said, um, how much time do you spend on the Internet? I don't have Facebook, but if they were asking somebody else, they would probably say, how many... Minutes a day, hours a day, do you spend on Facebook or maybe on Instagram? I was with a young lady recently, and I didn't know anybody could live and move and breathe on TikTok all day long. It was unbelievable. Anyway, moving right along. But they challenged me. They said, how much time do you spend on your iPad? And how much time do you spend in the Word? My friends, if we truly believe this is God's word, and I heard Tyler say we do, then we need to be spending time in the word. And I'm going to give you a challenge here. I want you to start memorizing scripture. I want you to start memorizing scripture. You say, I can't memorize scripture. I've got a test question. Is there anyone here who says they can't recite maybe seven verses right in a row? Six or seven verses right in a row? Maybe at least four? What if I said, hey, let's go ahead and and talk about if you could recite Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Off the top of your head. You got it? Is there anybody here who would say, I can't do that? If you can't do that, would you raise your hand? There are some honest people, but I want to tell you, you can Because here's how it starts. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We have memorized and know more scripture than we think we know. And I want to encourage you to, instead of saying, oh, I can't memorize scripture, go back to passages you have learned. Maybe it was in kindergarten when you learned, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Maybe it was when you were in your first Christmas pageant and you had to say, and it came to pass in those days or went out a decree from Caesar. I want to encourage you, take those. Do you remember learning the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want, to, I want to encourage you. Jesus not only emboldened them with His presence, but He enlightened them in the Word. I want us to begin to be students of the Word of God. There's a, a third thing, though, that's crucial. He engaged them in prayer. We see that when they gather in that upper room and it says they gathered together with the apostles and list the names and the others that were gathered with them and the women, and they prayed. And then it says after those 3,000 were converted after the Pentecostal sermon, what happens? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. And then... In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. And then when they choose the deacons to serve in the church, they said, we need to appoint these men to do these duties because we must devote ourselves to, and I'm going to have to tell you, your pastor, your pastor, your former pastor, John, challenged me on this one day because I said, yeah, we have to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. He said, nope, you got it wrong, pastor. Pastor. I said, what? What are you talking about? I turned in there to Acts chapter 6, and guess what it says? It says that, um, hmm, we must devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Wow. Jesus engaged them in prayer. Now listen, if you ever read in Luke chapter 3 when he's being baptized, it says, while he was baptized and praying, this is Jesus. At that point, as he's praying, the Holy Spirit descends. And the voice of the Father comes, this is my beloved Son. When Jesus begins his ministry, he goes out into the wilderness. And he prays and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. When he gets ready to choose his apostles, he goes up into the mountains and he prays all night long. When he gets ready to face the cross... And there were so many other times. But when he gets ready to face the cross, he goes to the garden. And he prays so fervently that he sweats great drops of blood. He's on the cross and he's praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit. And then it says, as he's ascending up into heaven He blesses his apostles. I wonder what that benediction was. I'd love to hear it. But he was a prayer warrior and he engages his disciples. He says, Wait, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Spirit. And they waited and they prayed and he answered. So they're emboldened by His his presence as a resurrected Lord. They're enlightened by His testimony of the Scripture. They're engaged in becoming prayer warriors. you wonder what transformed them? They had been with Jesus. And finally, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. That day at Pentecost, in answer to their prayers, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had promised, was poured out upon them. That day, as he stood up to speak, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's remarkable, if you look at Jesus and you think about his life, he was conceived by the Spirit. When he was baptized, he was anointed by the Spirit. When he was led out into the wilderness, he was led by the Spirit. When he came back, he came back in the power of the Spirit. When he began his first reading of Scripture there, when he announced his ministry, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In another place it says, He rejoiced in the Spirit. I want to, I want to challenge you this morning as we get ready to close. We have a desperate need In our world today. For young men and young women, for fathers and mothers, for members of our community and leaders in our church, we have a desperate need for people who have been with Jesus. I would covet your prayers for me, that when people meet me in France or here in the States, the one thing they would notice is that I had been with Jesus. I encourage you to pray every single day for Tyler, that when he stands to minister in the Word, as he shepherds the flock, that you would notice that he has been with Jesus. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask that you would come even today and embolden us by your resurrection presence. for You're with us always. That you would, Father, send Jesus to enlighten us in the scriptures, to engage us in prayer. Send your spirit to empower us to do ministry. We will give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. We love you, Father, and we thank you in Christ. You first loved us, and we pray in his name. Amen. Let us stand together and confess our faith. The Apostles' Creed, which is found on page 845 of your Trinity Hymnal. Church, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty.